morning, everyone. Welcome to God's House for Worship today. Today is the Festival of Epiphany where God makes clear to, to the world Jesus Christ came for you too. In everything he is, he is for you as well. We have uh, two special visitors up front with me today. They are first-year pastor track students at Martin Luther College. They've been shadowing me since Thursday afternoon, and uh, today is kind of the, the end of that. So we've had uh, about three and a half days together. And so Paul and Matthew will be participating in the service, taking portions of it. And uh, we'll say a little bit more about that at the end. Order of services before you at this time. Let's begin with our opening hymn, 372.
the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Let us then confess our sins to the Lord. Almighty and merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed what we have devised and desired in our hearts. We have offended you and sinned against your holy law. We have done those things that we should not have done, and we have not done those things that we should have done. Have mercy on us, Lord. Spare us, forgive us, and restore us according to your promises in Christ Jesus. Our gracious Father in heaven has been merciful to us. He sent his Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by his authority alone, I forgive you all of your sin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. <laughs> for the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord.
Lord God, by the leading of a star, you once made known to the nations your one and only Son. Guide us also, who know him now by faith, to come at last to the perfect joy of your heavenly glory. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. first lesson this morning comes from Numbers chapter 24. We see a prophecy of the Savior fulfilled at Christmas. Then he spoke his message, the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eye sees clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. The word of the Lord. We continue with Psalm 72. The second reading and 
Today's basis for the sermon is from Romans 11. I am talking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry, in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gift and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. The word of the Lord.
The gospel message for today comes from Matthew chapter 2. We hear of the visit of the Magi. Please stand. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called them together, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Gospel of the Lord. We continue with hymn 370. Please be seated.
grace and mercy and peace are yours because today's epiphany. And God makes clear it's because the gospel is yours, your brothers and sisters in him. I know exactly what time of year it is, and so do you. This is a time of year where, of course, everybody's looking forward, looking forward to the future, things that uh, maybe we want to upgrade and update a little bit from last year and tweak and make new and do it a little bit differently. Maybe there are things about you, a few extra pounds put on last year that you're looking at and saying, I'd like to get rid of that, I'd like to eat less, I'd like to work out a little bit, I'd like that gym membership, or maybe it's even a, a perspective that you want to tweak. Maybe, maybe you want to travel a little bit, maybe you want to see state or national parks, maybe just hit the library and see some books and get a new hobby. That's the time of year we're in. But you know where a lot of that comes from? An attitude inside of us that says, I don't like it. I don't like what I see. I don't like how I'm feeling. I don't like what happened last year, and I would like things to be a little bit different with me and the way I look or with things that I'm doing in my life. And so we're trying to adjust and we're trying to improve to a degree. And what happens January 7th or 8th or at the end of January or at the end of February, you get an extra day this year, I think, when you don't, when you can't, when you give up. And the attitude slips back into the same one that was last year. So now we have two things, a desire to change and an inability to carry it out. Do you know what you call that? Regret. Webster's Dictionary defines regret as sorrow aroused by circumstances from someone's inability to control or change a situation. And where better do you see regret in your life than when you look at the past? Not one of us here has the ability to go back. Not one of us here has the ability to change a decision we made in the past that we would really like to. Not one of us has the gift to be able to go back and do life better, to do life different. And the world capitalizes on that and recognizes that too. And that's where we get these trite little sayings. I mean, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. You can't go back and do it over. Do it right the first time. But people don't. Or you get those Southwest Airlines commercials. You know, where they've got a whole series of them where somebody goofs up, it's embarrassing, and, and, and they can't change their circumstances, and so you get that tagline or punchline, want to get away? And you know why that works, right? Because they know about regret. They know there are things that happen in life, and we've all felt it, we've all experienced it, where you can't get away from it, you can't escape it, you can't change what just happened, and it's embarrassing, and do you really want to live with it? Do you really want to live in that moment and, and have all of that on your shoulders? No. You want to buy Southwest Airline tickets, and you just want to run away or fly away from the situation as far as you can. And so it's a great motto for selling airline tickets, especially during winter, it's very poor theology. 
Because the Christian, when we look at the Bible, we see God is a God of no regrets. He has none. Not any. Not one. When he looks at who he is, when he looks at, and I don't know, we're going to put this in terms of human speak, when he looks at his past, when he looks at his present, even when he looks ahead at God's eternal. So no matter what aspect or characteristic of eternity he looks at, he has not one regret when he looks at himself. Who can say that here? When God looks at the work that he's done for people in time, he has not one regret with any decision he's made, with any plan he's made, or with any of the work that's happened in time. He has not one regret with any of the consequences of his work and the results of his work and how it's dealt with people, even whether people believe him or not. No regrets. And the key verse that highlights this is verse 29, but for context, I'm going to read verse 28 just to set the stage a little bit here too. It says, as far as the gospel is concerned, he's talking about the Jews, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they're loved on account of the patriarchs. And here's the key verse, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So in the whole context of this Romans 11 section, Paul is looking at the past. And he's looking at his own people, the Jews. And he recognizes something very stark and bold, and it's ugly. They've rejected the gospel. They've rejected the Lord. They've rejected his promises. And from that standpoint, when you reject anybody, when you reject the gospel, you reject the Lord who gave it. When you reject the gospel, you reject his calling. When you reject the gospel, you are rejecting his gifts as well, and therefore you're rejecting the church and all the people who believe it. Now, keep in mind, I know this is sensitive, and there are political things going on today, and I want to make sure this is clear. He's not talking from a citizen-to-citizen -citizen standpoint. He's not saying treat somebody poorly. He's saying, again, for the sake of the gospel. They're enemies. Anybody who doesn't believe the gospel is opposed to it. And they are an enemy of it from that sense and against it. And now he wants to take it a, a step further from the Pharisees in his day. Go back even further. Go back a thousand years to the time of Saul, David, and Solomon. And then go back even further to the time of Moses. And, and even go back further than Moses because you'll get to the time period about 2000 B.C., of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what you will see is God unconditionally loved those people. He chose them and their descendants, not because they were better, not because they were better sinners or better people, simply because he could. God extended faithful love to those people and chose them to be the carriers of the gospel promises, his call, all the way till the time Jesus would be the fulfillment of it. They would be his special nation that the Messiah would come from, as our first lesson said, as well as the people who are supposed to proclaim this to the world. But if you know your Old Testament Bible stories, Abraham sinned over and over again against his wife, against others, against God. Uh, Isaac, the same. Jacob was a trickster, did the same. 
not, not a one of them deserved it. And so in their faithlessness, all the way on down to Paul's day, God was faithful to his call and to his gifts. And that's what Paul is drawing out again when he says this key verse. He says, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. What does that mean? His gifts and his call are irrevocable. Well, the term irrevocable means he's not going to take it back. But what does it mean in its fullness? The, the word call is a churchy word that means an invitation. God invited Abraham and all of his descendants to say, I'm going to send my son for you in the future, a Messiah, and this gospel promise is for you. He called them to this. He invited them to see and believe the gospel message. And his gifts, the same. Remember when Israel was in Egypt? He sent the ten plagues, incredible gifts to give them freedom. And then he led them by pillar of fire and pillar of cloud, an incredible gift. And then he gave them that miracle food in the desert, the manna, another incredible gift. And then he led them three months later to Mount Sinai. And he gave them the incredible gift of the law, including the Ten Commandments. And then he gave them the incredible gift of the dimensions for the tabernacle and the temple. And then he gave them the incredible gift of the promised land. And then he even gave them the incredible gift still of a Messiah who had come from that specific group of people, the Jews. Gifts upon gifts upon gifts. So he gave them a call to the gospel, to eternal life, trusting in Jesus, and he gave them so many gifts. And they rejected him. On the whole. They rejected the Lord. They rejected his gospel. They rejected his call. They rejected his gifts. Now what do you think that would make God feel? How do you think God would feel after something like that? After all that he did? I mean... Maybe he should feel a hint of regret here. Maybe he should look back at his past and say, I should have done this so, so differently. Maybe I should take my eternal eraser and, and cross off and scribble out some of those Jewish people from the Old Testament and the things, the good things I did for them. Maybe I should feel like Southwest Airlines and say, I'm just so embarrassed by all of this gushy love I poured out on them faithfully in the Old Testament, and I just want to get away, some other galaxy far, far away. I'm just, I'm just spent with how much love I poured out on them. But you don't see that. And this is such a bold statement. His gifts and his call are irrevocable. He doesn't take them back. He feels no regret. And, and there's a subtle point to be made here too. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? The king in Daniel's day? The Babylonian king made a foolish, foolish edict. Anybody who prays to, to a certain god should be thrown in the lion's den, and Daniel was caught. And the king knew he had been duped. But the, the edict he made was irrevocable. He couldn't take it back. And so Daniel was forced to go in the lion's den because the king couldn't take it back. But he really, really wanted to. That's not the sense of irrevocable here in Romans 11, where God was so embarrassed, so disappointed by what he had done, all this faithful love in the Old Testament, but he really, really wanted to take it back if he could, but he couldn't. That's not it at all. The sense of irrevocable is, <clears throat> God had no regret whatsoever. 
in the faithful gospel call that he gave to Abraham and all of his descendants, and in all of the gifts he lavished on them over the years that led them to that Messiah, the patience he had for them, the kindness, the forgiveness, no regrets whatsoever, even though only so few believe. Boy, that's humbling, isn't it? That he wouldn't change a thing, that he wouldn't take back a thing. Why? Why is God not embarrassed under such circumstances? Why is God so determined and, and so unregretful in any of this? Same reason today's epiphany. God loves to put the gospel out there and he gives the reason earlier in our lesson when Paul says, even though I'm a Jew and now I'm the minister to the Gentiles, I make the most of my ministry so that I might save some. The reason God does it this way and he's not regretful at all is because he still gets to save some. And now today he reveals this incredible message to you. An epiphany. The gospel is not just for Abraham's physical descendants and those gifts are not just for them too. When the Jews rejected the gospel, God says, it's too small a thing to save only them. This gospel is so big, so important, so powerful that it's for the rest of the world too. It is for all of the Gentiles. It is for every single sinner in the world. It's for every single sinner sitting in these pews and for all of the sinners that are not sitting in these pews today too, but still are and should be. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, Jews and Gentiles, the entire world. And so God's message is certainly for everybody. But he has no regrets. Even if it's just for a few to save. And now even look at what the Gentiles have done with the gospel. First service on a Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, is usually our, our more full service. Still open seats. The gospel is for everybody. Where is everybody? Not just in our church. What about all the other Christian churches around the United States and the world? Where are the Gentiles today? Is it possible the Gentiles are starting to turn their nose up like the Jews did in Paul's day? That in spite of God's call, that when the Jews turned away, he made it clear we were included too? That in spite of God's gifts that he's poured out on us over the last 2,000 years, that we no longer have the same appreciation we once did? And we're starting to turn away from it too? Or maybe, maybe we've already lost it around the world in parts. And still, God has no regrets. Still, God would not change a thing of what he has done in the Old Testament or now in the New Testament. Even if it means he gets to save some Gentiles. 
a few Gentiles, a little of the Gentiles, or maybe even just you. No regrets. A couple years ago, uh, put in the announcements in the bulletin that we wanted to play some softball on a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon, and we ran it for a couple of weeks. And uh, the day came for that softball event when we still had the diamond out back before the, before the addition. And the day came, and I think six or seven people showed up. Now, if you're going to do softball out there, to at least have some fun and to have a great time, you need probably at least 14 people to divide up into two teams. And, of course, you'd really like to have two full teams, right? So what can you do with six or seven people? It was really disappointing. And I know everybody has stuff going on. Life is busy. It's just the way it is. But there's really not much you can do if you're looking to play a game. And so here God looks at the Old Testament and goes so far and does all of this stuff for the sake of the Jews. And so few believe and show up in faith. And then God takes that gospel when the Jews reject it and he gives it to the Gentiles and he pours out so much on them. And still the, the response of the Gentiles today is, when it's for all of them, so few believe. And he has no regrets. Because he gets to be patient with you. He gets to pour out his forgiveness on you. He gets to show that same faithful love he did to the people of the Old Testament. He gets to do that for you. And he gets to build you up and let you truly see in Jesus Christ what your eternal future is going to be. And at the same time, give you a mission here on earth while you still have life and breath. This is God's great goal for the Gentiles who do believe the gospel and trust his saving name. He says, Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. This is another humbling part. And I hope this just shapes your heart and attitude that God pours out his mercy to you, brings you into the family of believers. And now what's our outlook? That you're better than other people? No. You get to give thanks for this incredible gospel because it includes you. And to see God's great plan for you that he still hasn't given up on his enemies. He still hasn't given up on Gentiles who don't believe. He still hasn't given up on Jews who have rejected the gospel. That through you, through your Christian life today, through your Christian witness, that you would take this gospel out and do what so many others haven't done and have shirked. That you would proclaim the word of the Lord. That you would tell others about Jesus. That instead of looking down on people, we don't. That we would look up and see the mercy of God. The God who has no regret. And to see that in the forgiveness he gives you, as you look at your past, you get to have no regret too. Because of Jesus. 
who fully covers you in every way. And then we get to take this message out to our community and get to say, come see Jesus. Come see the one who came for you. Come see the one who stands in your place. Come see the one who died for you. And whether you believe it or not, he'll never regret what he did for you. Ever. That's just who he is. Amen. Please stand. May the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. We continue with the prayer of the church on page 10. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God and Mary's Son, in the fullness of time, you came into our world to save us from sin and death. Beloved Son of the Father, revered by the Magi, baptized by John, you came preaching and teaching, healing and comforting, forgiving and encouraging. Prince of Peace, shine like a beacon for us and the people of our world. Let the good news of salvation be heard in the remotest corners of the earth. Open our own lips to speak your name to those around us who still live without faith or hope. Lord of the Church, let your peace rule our hearts that we may use our gifts to serve you and each other in willing gratitude and joy. Watch over our loved ones near and far, that they may remember your love and rejoice in your salvation. Strengthen the faith of the sick and the disheartened. Give hope to those in despair and comfort those who mourn. Be gracious Hear us, Lord, as we pray in silence. Finally, bring us and all your believers to the heavenly home where we will stand in the full light of your glory, and with all your saints and angels sing the everlasting song of triumph. Amen. We continue with hymn 375.
Blessed Lord, you have given us your holy scriptures for our learning. May we so hear them, read, learn, and take them to heart that being strengthened and comforted by your holy word, we may cling to the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Please be seated.